Well, good morning. It is a joy to be with you. Kathy and I are delighted to be here last night and with you this morning in worship. And thank you for the privilege uh, to preach. Why don't you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, we're going to look at verses 25 to 30. I do have a few just comments and thankfulness, reminders of my own life. It was it was beautiful to raise our five kids here. This church was so formative in the raising of my family for seven years while we were at Southern Miss serving as uh, doing campus work together. Uh, you supported us, you loved us, and you're still doing that to this day. You've supported and loved my, my son, Zach, who was here for a couple seasons. He's now at Northwest attending school and, and trying to play football there. Thank you for praying for him and reaching out to us and encouraging us in your prayers and just checking on him. He's doing well. Thanks for, thanks for asking. And, and thank you as a church that has supported also my work in being the ministry coordinator for the Mid-South Church Planting Network. And by the grace of God, in the last 11 years, we're going to plant our seventh church in March of this year. Uh, Hunter Brewer in Trinity and Collierville will be planting, uh, have that church particularized or organized in our denomination uh, for the glory of Christ. And we have seen God at work, right? Seven churches in 11 years, God is using the resources of his people. You're helping me equip them and encourage them to do their work of ministry. Many of them wanted to leave the mission field like Josh Kynes and Ben Shaw, who came through this ministry of this church. And by the grace of God, they particularized their churches. So we play a vital role together in thinking about God's mission in the world, particularly in uh, North America. Sarah Lucas and Kathy, my wife, just helped out in a retreat that we did in Oxford for 12 wives, some of them pastor's wives, some of them church planting wives. We encourage them in their ministries as they come alongside their husbands who are slogging through all kinds of difficult and challenging things. And so you've helped support that and retreats that we've done for pastors and men we're sending to church planting assessment and the way in which you help us do recruiting. So very grateful for your support over me, for me over the last five years as the ministry coordinator for the Mid-South. You may have heard recently I've taken a call to Christ Pres in Oxford to be associate pastor there of pastoral care to 55 and olders as well as doing outreach and missions. And, but by the grace of God, that church believes in being an outward-facing church. They too want to invest in church planting, so they're going to loan me back to the Mid-South one day a week couple Sundays a month and come do conferences like this to remind us of the great calling upon a great calling upon our lives as God works in and through his people. So I'm grateful for this opportunity upcoming. You can pray for our transitions. Transitions, they're just they're hard. Uh, I don't I, I always like challenge and change, but in my mid fifties, not so much. So I, I would ask for your prayers and encouragement uh, to others in our family and even to us. Um, as we come to this text, really, th this is about the mission of God. This is why we come this morning, to celebrate the mission of God. And it's an absolute rescue mission in a lost and a dying world. This rescue has come for us, and it's going to come through us. And this is not a theoretical idea or a concept or just an assumption, like this is a good idea that God should do these things. Rescue is at the very heart of God's mission in this lost and broken world. It comes to the, for us into the very core of our being, as this text would say, as says. That God is rescuing us, right, from his holy wrath and displeasure against sin. He's rescuing us from a lost and a dying and very confusing world in which we live. And he's rescuing, he's rescuing us from, from us, from our self-deception, 
for unbelief. And he calls us to walk by faith and to look to his grace in the midst of all of our failures in light of the beautiful message of the gospel of grace. His unmerited favor is his great rescue mission for us and through us in this world. Here in this text, right, Jesus prays for us and welcomes us to come to him once again, to be healed, to find rest, to, to live for his mission out of his strength and not our own. And so if you listen carefully, Jesus is teaching us in mission, again, to us and through us or for us and through us, right, that Jesus is shouldering the weary nations. And you should be able to find yourself in this text because we are the weary nations. Let's hear God's word, verse 25, beginning there. And at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the very word of God for us this morning. Let's pray and ask him to bless it to us. Our gracious Father, we come before your gaze joyfully, thankfully, this very hour that you call us into your presence and you give us hope that you're the God of all grace and of all mercy. And so we pray that you would move towards us once again, that you would rescue us once again in this lost and dying world and give us hope and give us your spirit to discern your word for our hearts and for our lives so we would run again to Jesus, bringing to him all of our labors that are laden with unbelief, wreckage, and sin. And would you speak to our souls? Because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. On Saturday mornings, our boys like to watch the world's strongest men. I think I like to watch the world's strongest men competition, right? And they would sort of, hey, guys, come and see. This is amazing, right? These, these giant men picking up giant things seems to be like impossible. And you're going, why would anybody want to do that? But these guys are 6'4", they're 6'8", they're 400 pounds, and they're just they're grabbing large things. And there's the one... The one, um, the, the one exercise or ch a challenge in that is to pick up this giant crossbar that's filled with weights on both sides, like a squat rack, weighing well over 1,000 pounds. I can't even remember the weight, but well over 1,000 pounds. And they have, to, they have to get that off the ground, and they have to run as fast as they can to a finish line that's about 40 yards ahead of them. And there's just sheer raw power. And, you know, some men start out really quickly, and then some men stumble very quickly. And then many of those in that particular competition don't make it to the end. They just, they, they just fall out. They give up. And a few make it in for, for time. They are totally self-dependent, self-trained, self-absorbed people to accomplish that, to have those kinds of feats of strength among mere mortals like you and me. But, but I wonder so often if we think about the Christian life and God's mission in the same way. That we're just going to kind of screw up the courage 
and we're going to go against all things, that we are going to make this Christian life thing work out. Yes, God rescued us, but now the rest is up to me, which is a, a complete twisting of the grace of God, right? That we have been delivered and saved by His grace and mercy. But I wonder how often you and I fall back into, I will just, I will just do this. I will just own this. I will work through this by myself. You know, here in this text, Jesus is the world's, Jesus is the strongest man that ever lived, morally, spiritually, and physically in many ways, right? But he came in all apparent weakness. He was wholly and fully dependent upon his Father and the power of his Spirit every moment of every day of his life. And today, Jesus is leading us into his mission with him. Yes, with all of our weaknesses and all of our failures. So I don't want us to think this morning about God's rescue mission towards us, not as a destination or an outcome, but daily movement of his grace and mercy towards us into this very lost and dying world in which we live. Why? Because the God of the Bible rescues us from his wrath and renews us by his grace in the best of our moments of our life and indeed the great failures and worst moments of our life. The great hope of really this text, I think, harkens all the way back to Isaiah chapter 9, where we learn something of Jesus Messiah, the anointed one who's come to rescue his people. Right? We're told in that text that the, the Son of Man would be born unto a, woman, unto a woman, through Mary ultimately being fulfilled in that prophecy. But what are we told in that text? That the governments of the nations and the universe and the cosmos would rest upon his shoulders, right? And we would call him Wonderful God, Mighty Father, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's a picture here. Jesus is the one who bears up the weight of this world and the power and strength he's been given by his Father. This prayer before us reveals the intimacy with Jesus and a humble invitation for weary disciples. In a profound way, Jesus, the Son of God, is pulling back, right? He's pulling back the veil to see the very heart of his Father in heaven. And in this text, with all the information that we have, and all the times we have read the Scriptures maybe over and over again, here Jesus offers us divine knowledge and understanding about himself, about his mission, and about who we are in him. The only question is, are you listening? Are you listening? So there's two headings I want to look at this text briefly with you this morning, and that's this. There's an intimate hope and a humble invitation. There's an intimate hope and a humble invitation for mission in this world. In verses 25 to 27, we see that Jesus gives us, a, gives us an intimate hope for mission. I want us to see the comfort of, of what Jesus prays in these opening verses. Here Jesus prays, right, relationally, his relationship to the Father and his relationship to his church joyfully. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these from the wise, the learned, the powerful, maybe we might say, of our society and communities. Jesus begins his prayer with gratitude. But you need to know, like humanly speaking, Jesus is being sabotaged in every single corner of his public ministry. They're calling him a drunkard on the one hand and a demon on the other, a worker of Satan. He came to bring the kingdom of light, and they're accusing him of bringing a kingdom of darkness. That's how much light he was actually bringing to those people. 
those who will reject him. And in the movement that he has throughout the cities and the towns and the synagogues, as he's being rejected on every side, we know that he's moving towards the cross, right? As he moves towards the cross, Judas will betray him, Peter will deny him, all of his disciples will abandon him. Why else would he not stop and pray, I thank you, Father, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned. He faced with brutal rejection the accusations of all those around him as he came to minister in his Father's graces and name. But here Jesus comforts himself and he comforts weary disciples like you and me through this prayer because he has the infinite knowledge of his Father. And this infinite knowledge means that he has power and authority given to him, which he would pass on to the church at his ascension. Jesus celebrates a revealed kingdom, right, received only by faith. And you know, Jesus often uses the little children, the, the ones we just dismissed, right, out, out the door. He uses the little ones and he says, yes, Father, you gave this kingdom to those that are like little ones. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. In a, in a picture there, right, the children having no real agency, completely dependent upon their parents. That's a picture of you and me as Christ's disciples. We are as helpless today as we, as we were the day we were born. And Jesus holds, up, holds us up and gives us hope. This is so comforting, right, to hear and know this is the Father's gracious will through his Son. But I also want you to see the confidence in how Jesus prays. Not just comfort and, and what he prays and who he addresses, but, but also the confidence in how he prays. All things, he says, have been handed over to me by my Father. All things, everything. He is, he is the sovereign king. He understands that. And as Reformed Presbyterians, of all people, we should understand that. But we act as if Jesus is not on the throne or he's not in charge of his church and that the trials and issues of life in our lives and our churches have nothing to do with his sovereignty. We forget that so quickly. But Jesus celebrates it. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And the term here, handed over, was used by the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the teachers in regard to the law. They handed over the law. They handed over teachings. They handed over extra laws. They wore the people out. <laughs> they continued to hand things over to discourage the people of God in that place. And of course, what we know is that those religious teachers, the same ones who handed over the law to control the people, handed over Jesus to Rome, right? He was handed over to be crucified. It's the same language. But Jesus rejoices, right? All things have been handed over to him. It is Jesus who receives us from the Father and all those who have been given to him, not only by their salvation, but the whole earth and all the events of the earth belong to him. And that's why there's this beautiful phrase that no one knows. This phrase, no one knows, describes, right, that, that personal, deep, intimate love that Christ has with his Father. That daily journey where he engaged the Father's graces and mercies by the power of the divine Spirit of God upon him. It is there where he celebrates this intimacy, but he also goes on to say, this text goes on to say, right, that Jesus continues to pray and to give to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That God is revealing himself through Christ and his word and the power of his spirit even this morning. And this, brothers and sisters, is our confidence. 
that Jesus is exclusively and sovereignly gracious. He is the Son who communes with the Father, and he communes with us together as his family. And this, of course, right, is the great family secret. Jesus moves us from the courtroom of our justification to the living room of our adoption, that we are the family of God with all the rights and privileges, as we often confess, together at the foot of the cross. My, my dad's from Bridgeport, Connecticut. And he grew up in a pretty multicultural, integrated town. Lots of Italians, some Irish, some Protestant people had moved to Bridge, Bridgeport. Pretty tough place, he told me growing up. But he remembers this one Italian family. They were Italian Catholics. He was obviously a Protestant who didn't attend church. I know he didn't. But he talked about this one moment of going to this Italian family's home. And they welcomed in little Ralphie. My dad's name is Ralph. So they said, Ralphie, come on in. Sit down and let's have a meal together. And he, still, he remembers that day when he told me just a couple years ago, he's about 80 years old now, but he told me that day as if one of the warmest experiences he ever had. That this family who barely knew him, but though he knew, he knew their son Tony, and Tony invited him into the family meal. And they fed him, they passed the food around. Maybe that's why my dad loves meatballs and spaghetti so very, very much, was his time with Tony. But he was welcomed in. He was heard. He was made a part of something he had not been a part of before. Isn't that the picture of you and me in the church? Being welcomed in to come to a table, the family table which God has created through his son Jesus, who is graciously and sovereignly at work in us. The question really is, right, are, are you having and sharing gospel conversations with your families and closest friends? Are you welcoming other people into those conversations. Surely my dad sat around that table and heard all kinds of stories and comments about that family and the way in which they lived and how they got there to America as immigrants. But are we sharing gospel conversations with one another? Are we talking and praying about the gospel with each other? I feel, I feel as though we have lost the art of conversation even in our own homes because we just don't want to fight anymore. And we want we don't even know if anybody wants to hear us anymore. But I wonder if the gospel and this hope that we have in Jesus would change the way we think about our family tables and relationships we have in our community. Here you see Jesus gives us an intimate hope for mission. The second thing I want to see is that Jesus gives us a humble invitation for mission, a humble invitation for mission in verses 28 to 30. Notice there is an urgency to find rest in Jesus. He announces this, this is a humble invitation because of the heart of Jesus, which we'll look at in a moment. But it's a command. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Seek rest, he is saying. And rest at this time in our life, doesn't rest seem so elusive? What is rest really supposed to look like? You know, we go to, to beach homes and we go to the mountains and we spend tens of thousands of dollars to get away, to find rest, right? And we, we've, we've, we've synchronized our calendars and all the people that are going to come to that place. And what's most often our response when we come back? Man, I need a vacation from my vacation. I mean, I thought I was going to find it there. That one place that I love to meet with God and be quiet and still before him, it's a place of chaos now, right? So often in our lives, we are looking for rest, in something that we perceive or hope for. But rest is not found in a place that we choose. 
No, rest is found in the person that God gives. And his son says, he has rest for you and me. I believe these three verses may be the hardest verses to trust and apply to our lives. Because the real question is, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. The who is the question of this text, right? Who are, do you find yourself this morning burdened and heavy laden? Do you sense, as we even often sing in the hymn, all the fitness that he requires of us, right, is to feel our need of him. And the text, as we sing, goes on to say, and this he will give you, and this he will give you, willing sinners doubt no more. Do you feel your need for the rest that Jesus offers offers in himself? Because I believe as American Christians, we are finding rest in all the wrong places, And we're seeking comfort in ways that God had never designed for us apart from Jesus Christ. Are you going to Jesus with your weariness and your heavy burdens? Do you sense the urgency of this command upon your life? Because it's Jesus alone who takes the whole world upon his shoulders upon the cross. He is the champion and the ruler of the cosmos. His lordship over our lives matters because his rest, he tells us, isn't temporary vacuous and fleeting it's a rest that is eternal that's a provision for our souls the only part of us this morning that will last forever in our entirety the souls that God has given us will last forever what kind of rest does Jesus promise to you and to me this morning all kinds of rest right cognitive rest physical rest Rest on the Lord's day, rest in his graces, rest in his salvation for you and me. This is the hope of why we come. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. That's the intention of all the cosmos, that in Jesus, those mighty nations that rest upon his shoulders, when they look to him and they feel their need of him, will find rest in him and him alone. I love Jeremiah 31, 25 says this. For I satisfy the weary ones... And refresh everyone who languishes. For I satisfy the weary ones and refresh everyone who languishes. Languishes. The only question is, are you listening? And lastly, we see in this text as well, not only this, this invitation, this urgency to come, but there's a command for disciples of Jesus to live by mercy. He says, verse 29 and 30, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And then we have this descriptive element about Jesus, very few found in the New Testament, right? That Jesus actually describes who he is. He describes the core of who he is. That his very heart is gentle and lowly. Even though he's strong and mighty, the text tells us he is gentle and lowly. And he says, that's the yoke. Take upon this yoke from me and learn from me. It's the yoke of of discipleship. It's his instruction. It's being teachable. Man, I've lived long enough in the PCA and as a minister of the gospel to know that fifth vow we take and what Jesus is teaching his disciples to be teachable is a Holy Spirit gift. I know lots of smart people who show up to church. I know very few people, including myself very often, who are teachable. And Jesus says, if you want to be like me, then you take up this yoke. And you learn humility from me. I'm leading the way. You follow in my footsteps. This is the picture 
of humility and discipleship in the kingdom of God. And this bears fruit. This bears fruits in our lives and it bears fruit in the mission of God's kingdom. This means that God's mercy enables us to embrace our failures and the failures of others. Now, are you sure about that? I mean, I'm okay with my failures. I'm not okay with those failures. But the mercy of God is what we find in Matthew 5, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The beautiful thing for us this morning, even this text, is that God does not think the way we do. We can quote Isaiah 55, of course, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. And I've always thought about it as kind of an aspirational, a high ascendant kind of way of thinking about God. He's just so up there that we can't even understand. And that's true. But I think even in that text, and particularly in this text, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, does not think like you and me ever. He knows us better than we know ourselves. We wait, why else would Jesus say, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light to these people in this world? You see, Jesus is not like any other person you have met or have ever known. When Jesus finally rested his shoulders upon the cross and death for you and me, he brought life and he poured out mercy with blood. Should this mission of God to rescue us and to rescue the world through us not make us the most hopeful and humble people on the face of the earth? You see, it's here what Jesus is saying. It's here that we find that his mercy produces freedom and dependence upon him alone because he ties our lives, our gifts, our competencies, and all those things. He ties them to himself and he ties our souls to eternity because he tells us he will provide rest, not just for our lives, but for our very souls that will last forever. And it is only then that we will take up his yoke upon ourselves and learn from him this mercy that he has granted to us by faith. I have a dear friend who's checked on me a lot in the Mid-South as I travel around throughout the, the many regions, Mississippi, West Tennessee, Arkansas, and Louisiana. And one day he called me and he just leaned in on the phone. He wasn't leaning, but it felt like he was leaning in. And he just said, Clint, how is your soul doing, brother? And I just said, well, I, I think my soul, I think it's okay. I'm thinking, I, had, I, don't, I, think it ver, I didn't even verbalize at the moment, but yeah, I think I'm doing okay. Thanks for, thanks for asking. But it had such an impression on me. He didn't ask me where I was going or what I was doing or what I was producing or what was going on. He just wanted to know how I was doing spiritually. And I'm grateful for that call. I'm grateful for that conversation when was the last time someone sat down with you and simply asked how you were doing spiritually? Not what was going on in your life per se, not what you're holding up to or holding on to, but just simply asking how you were doing in the Lord Jesus, encouraging them to go to the one who is gentle and lowly and who alone gives rest. You see, this morning, Jesus invites us to the, to the task of asking these questions of ourselves. How are your souls doing this morning before Jesus the King? How are you faring in this life? Jesus wants us to consider our spiritual lives, our souls that will last forever, whether you are a believer here this morning or an unbeliever, whether you are running away from Christ or you're seeking after him. Augustine rightly says it, our hearts are restless until they find their rest 
In him. In God, the one who made our hearts and souls for himself. You see, there's nobody like Jesus. He is gentle and lowly. And Christ gives us a humble invitation for his mission in this world to rescue us and to rescue others through us. I finished a mission conference in 2019. Actually, one of your missionaries uh, is third millennial. And so there was the conversation there. It was a great conference. And we walked to the streets and we went to eat with our friends. As we walked down the streets of Chattanooga, uh, we met a homeless man. And so our friends and myself, we, 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 he stopped us and said, hey, I need some money. Can you help me find a way to get to this rescue mission? And we, we said, you know, sorry, have no money. It's a typical practice anyway in this day and age. Um, but, but tell us your story. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Maybe we can pray for you. And he began to tell the story of his life and how he became poor, but also he professed to be a believer. And he shared scripture and things that it seemed to me only a believer would know. But as he told the story, as, as a typical preacher, uh, I was trying to help him with the story. <laughs> it's his story, but I'm trying. I'm trying to help him with his story, right? So he, he starts telling, so, 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 so it sort of ended like that, right? And, or you did this, is that what your dad did? And I think I interrupted him like a third time. This man is my senior. He, he was at least 20 years older than me. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Pastor, if you will just listen, I will tell you the story. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're right. And then he went on to pray for us. And he prayed a prayer that could be prayed in any pastoral prayer of a church service. And he prayed for us and he prayed for our souls. If we would just listen to Jesus, wouldn't our lives be so very differently, so very different around us? If we would just humble ourselves like Christ and to listen to others, Will we intentionally put a few more lost people on our prayer list? Will we invite a few more people to dinner and hear their stories? Will, you, will we take them to coffee? Will we take them to a lunch? Will we show them, will we show others the hospitality of God, which he has showed us? Will we hear others and their need for rest? Will we point them to Jesus and his deep and great love for us? You know, there's a world, I've learned in church planting and coaching, there's a, there's a world of people who are longing to be heard. And have their stories told. And they're just looking for a listening ear. So put your evangelism ears on. And just ask a few questions. And let people tell you the very core of who they are. And speak from their souls. Because who knows how Jesus might show up and rescue them. Galatians 6.1 and 2 says this. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. So fulfill the law of Christ. Right? See, what that text is saying is that Jesus bore those burdens, and we learn to do that together as well. You already probably know this, but your pastors and your elders and your officers, they're, they're good men. They're strong men. They've got lots of gifts, but they are just men. Their shoulders aren't strong enough, right? And, and your plans and your life and your retirement, they're not substantial enough. Your life is not long, will never be long enough to fix and handle all the problems that you have this morning. It's impossible. Even these soul-searching burdens that we have. But today, the Father has sent the Son into the world to make disciples by placing our salvation upon His shoulders. So we can find rest in Him today. The only question is, are you listening? And if you are, then hear these words again. Come to me, 
all who are weary and laden who need rest. And you will find rest, not just in this life, but forevermore for your souls. May God help us to be the people who celebrate his rescue mission to us and through us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us your Son. We thank you for giving us a picture, a window into the strength and power of Jesus. Yet this man, Jesus, came gentle and lowly to redeem sinners like us. Would you help us to be foot washers? Would you help us to invite others into our life to hear their story so they would see Jesus in us? So they might even see that we are trying to rest in Jesus in this life. Lord, we thank you that your grace is is sufficient and your love is divine and your mercies endure forever and ever. We thank you in Jesus' name.